Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Well, welcome to Real Cuff Radio. And tonight we've got a best-selling author and speaker, Shannon Etheridge. And I had never heard her story. Matter of fact, I, I was down in Waco and the lady told me, oh, you've got to interview this lady. And so I got a hold of her book and my wife has been reading it through it and reading some of it to me. And then I watched some on YouTube and uh, I'll be honest with you, I ended up, you know, crying all the way to the hospital while I was watching it. So uh, Shannon, how are you tonight? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Well, it is a privilege to have you, and my, my mother is on tonight, and my wife is in the background. So, uh, But if if uh, my mom wanted to say something before we started, go ahead. Sonia. Yes, when Todd told me, he said, Mom, do you know Shannon Etheridge? And I said, yes. And I said, we went to a Women of Faith over 15 years ago. And I said, she has all these books and stuff. And he said, have you heard her testimony? And I said, well, no. So yesterday and today, I began to listen and look on. And you were on oh, uh, 700 Club or one of those. and. Mm-hmm. And and the YouTube and listen to them and I've been crying and I just thought you know Shannon I thought you were a missionary's child uh, when I uh, when well, I met I, you I feel like a missionary sometimes I, well, well, I want to say Sandra is I've had opportunities to share this this very testimony on the Women of Faith platform and I distinctly remember being at Reunion Arena with you and hearing God say to me. You're going to be on that platform someday, and I I didn't believe it. I just thought it was wishful thinking or my ego talking. But sure enough, oh, wow. God, God oh, opened wow. that door for me to do that a few years ago. Well, you had such a pres. You always have had such a presence of God, and an innocence, and 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 then I, when I hear your testimony, I just wept at what God has done in your life. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, let's let's hear from you. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, um, I, it was, I, it was the third day of my junior year of high school when um, I was leaving for school one morning, and I kissed my mom and, and tossed my pom-poms in the books in the back seat of my car, and I was on my way to my high school, and I remembered that I hadn't put lipstick on, and so I adjusted the rearview mirror for quick application, and within a few seconds, my car jolted very hard. And I managed to get the car stopped and run back to see what I had hit, thinking maybe it was a farm animal out of its pasture or something. But when I got back to the scene of impact, I just stood there in shock over the body of a curly-headed woman lying face down in the grass next to a mangled bicycle. And the realization that I was the one who'd done that to her almost took me to my knees. And um, I ran to to a nearby house to call an ambulance and... No one was home. The door was locked, so I had to drive my car to the next nearest house. It was way out in the country. And um, I dialed 911 for an ambulance, and then I dialed my parents' number, and I just said to my mom, drive down the road until you see me. And I just didn't have the heart to tell her anything else. And so I went back to the scene of the accident, and someone came charging at me saying, are you the one who did this to her because he saw the condition of my car? And I said, yes, sir, I was, but it was not a hit and run. I only left to go call an ambulance and one is on its way now. 
And then my mother arrived within a couple of minutes, and when she realized what had happened, she literally went to her knees. I was trying to hold her upright, and we were just clinging to each other and praying up a storm that God would comfort this woman and keep her alive. And the, the um, ambulance arrived 45 minutes later, and the paramedic examined her and then coldly explained, I'm sorry, you're going to have to call a funeral home ambulance because there's nothing that we can do here. So I felt as if the past 45 minutes of praying up a storm had been spent totally in vain. When my father arrived on the scene, he exploded. He told me, just get in the car and go home. And when I walked back into my parents' house, he unleashed the wrath of God on me. He just, he put so much blame on me saying, you've ruined, you know, our entire estate. They're going to sue us for everything we have. That's what you get for jobbing with a chip on your shoulder. And I just told him I didn't have a chip on my shoulder. I wasn't angry about anything, but I didn't dare tell him that I was putting on lipstick because I knew that would get my block knocked off. And so um, I sobbed on that living room couch for I'm not sure how long until I passed out. And what woke me up was a police officer asking to question me. And after 30 minutes of that, I went out to my car to just assess the damage. And what I noticed is that the top of the windshield on the passenger side was now touching the floorboard in the back seat of the car. And I thought if any of my friends had asked me for a ride to school that morning, as they often did, they would have been split in half. And so I found a reason to praise God in that moment. I just said, thank you, Lord, that I was the only one in the car. And then I realized if I had just been a few inches further to the right, it would have split me in half. Yet it seemed like there had been an invisible shield of protection around me. And I asked God, did you save me for a reason? And I sensed God saying, I know that you, you can't make sense out of any of this right now, but Shannon, you, you have to trust me with this. That you, you will not die even though you think you will. And I had actually thought about suicide that morning on more than one occasion. And I just made a commitment to God that if this is in your will, that I will not take my own life, no matter how scary facing this family is going to be. And so the very next, uh, well, actually, my mother stuck her head out the door while I was out in the driveway, and she said, you have a telephone call. And I took the phone, and he said his name was Jerry Spate, and that did not ring a bell for me at all. But he said, I'm the neighbor of the woman that was killed this morning, and I want you to know that when I drove to McKinney, Texas, to tell her husband that she had been killed by a 16-year-old driver, the first words out of her husband's mouth was, how is the girl? And does she know it's not her fault? And I was just totally flabbergasted. And he went on to say that Gary Jarsper was his name and Marjorie was his wife's name, that Gary wanted me to come to their home the next night, the night before the funeral, to meet their three adult children. Todd, there was nothing in me that wanted to face this family. Like I felt like I was being invited to face the firing squad. But when I went over to that home and knocked on the door, it just flung open, and down the entry corridor, I see this big, burly, middle-aged man in a flannel shirt, and he just scooped me up in the warmest embrace, and he let me cry all over his flannel shirt, and uh, he cried his own tears on top of my head, and I just kept saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, you know, like, what else do you say? And once we regained our composure, he sat us down in the living room. Uh, in a bay window, and he showed me a picture of Marjorie, and he explained that she considered herself the bride of Christ, and there was no limit to how much she loved the Lord, and that they had actually been missionaries with Wycliffe Bible translators for some time. 
And he said, um, Shannon, Marjorie's been telling me for some time now that she sensed the Lord would be calling her home soon, that she actually had played her flute and given her testimony in church the previous Sunday, saying how much she longed to be in the presence of her heavenly bridegroom, and that when her church members heard someday of her death, that she wanted them to rejoice that she had gotten her wish and that she was in Jesus' presence. That church had no idea that they would be called on to do that just four days later. And he went on to say that, um, Shannon, I believe God chose you to usher Marjorie into heaven because he knew that you would be strong enough to handle it. And he said, um, I'm charging you not to let this ruin your life. He said, in fact, I'm passing Marjorie's legacy of being a godly woman onto you. I want you to learn to love Jesus without limits the way that Marjorie did. I want you to embrace your role as the bride of Christ the way that she did. Now, at the time... I thought, yeah, you're preaching to the choir because I'm the president of my youth group and, and I listen to Christian music and all that. But I had no idea the hypocritical life I was living because I was going to these concerts but then sleeping with my boyfriend in the backseat of the car on the way home and being rebellious against my parents and all that. So it took several years for this incident to really sink in deeply to penetrate my heart and my spiritual life. But over and over, Gary Jarsper continued to reach out to me, to share his book list newsletters, uh, to share personal family news with me. And so even though my image of God had been very much like my image of my earthly father, of just ready to unleash his wrath, ready to strike me down if I commit one sin too many, my image of God over those next couple of years transformed into thinking of him as a big, burly, middle-aged man in a flannel shirt who was ready to scoop me up in a warm embrace and let me cry all over his shoulder, no matter how much I had hurt him. And I'm so grateful for that revelation because I don't know where my spiritual life or my personal life or where my ministry would ever be had I not seen God as the unconditionally loving and merciful and graceful God that he actually is. A few, um, a few years later, he had gotten remarried and his uh, next wife, contacted me and she said, Shannon, you deserve to know some of, some more of the backstory. Gary would never tell you himself because he won't toot his own horn, but she said he was approached by three different people. Uh, one was um, uh, a lawyer saying you can sue Shannon's family for far more money than her insurance company covered. His response to that idea was absolutely not. Um, that family has suffered enough alongside of us and I'm not going to put more grief on them. And he was told by uh, a lawyer that the reason that it took 45 minutes for an ambulance to arrive is because the ambulance company had put a special policy in place that they would no longer service calls outside of the city limits. And it had gone into effect at midnight the night before, but they had failed to communicate to the surrounding ambulance companies that it's now going to be their responsibility to service those out-of-county line uh, or out-of-city limit calls. And so nobody knew who was supposed to go. So they said, you can sue the ambulance company for a lot of money. And his response was that the autopsy report showed that Marjorie was most likely killed on impact and that there was no need for any type of legal action. And then he was approached by the district attorney in, Hunt County, or in, in the state of Texas, in Hunt County, and told that the state of Texas was ready to press charges for involuntary manslaughter. And his response was, I refuse to let you put that girl on the stand. He said, in fact, I won't even show up in court. Just throw the entire case out. So over and over, this man had an opportunity to choose justice, but over and over, he chose mercy instead. So you can understand why he has become, you know, the biggest spiritual hero 
in my life, and I just want to ask everybody to pray for him because he's in his mid-80s and his health is declining rapidly, and um, that's going to be a big loss for me. But I did take this legacy that he handed over to me, this mantle that he placed on my shoulders. I took it very seriously. Um, And so I became a youth pastor in my early 20s and began began speaking to youth groups about saving sex until marriage. Um, I felt like that was my biggest wailing law, that the point of your greatest misery is the point of your greatest ministry. And so I started speaking to teenagers, and then I kind of grew with that audience and started speaking to college-age students, and then I grew with them some more and started speaking to to adult, uh, single, and married couples and um, had the opportunity to write a series of books called the Every Woman's Battle Series alongside Stephen Arterbert and Fred Stoker's Every Man's Battle Series. And uh, I had no idea that God would be able to use just a simple girl from Greenville, Texas, especially one who'd had this kind of tragedy in her life, that uh, that series, within a couple of short years, sold over a million copies and was published in 30 different languages. And so countries that have never stepped foot on their soil, never learned a single word of their language, and yet God has allowed me the opportunity to shape their culture and their sexual views, I am just astounded at what God can do. And so after I wrote the Every Woman's Battle series, my publisher said, what else would you like to write about? And so I told him, I said, I want to write a book about embracing your role as the bride of Christ and how to love Jesus without limits. And so I knew that I should start off that series with this car wreck story. And so my publisher read the first draft, and they were blown away. They said, Shannon, we had no idea that this had happened in your world. Why have you never told us this? And it was like, well, I just never really had reason to. But that's when they got really excited and um, contacted outlets like the 700 Club, like Focus on the Family uh, the Today Show, all of that jazz. And so Gary Jarsher actually traveled with me to several different radio or television studios and did tons of interviews. And so the book series, it's, uh, the lead book is called Completely Loved, Loving Jesus Without Limits. I'm sorry, Completely His. The lead book is Completely His, Loving Jesus Without Limits. And then there's four devotionals that follow in the series, Completely Loved, Completely Forgiven, Completely Blessed, and Completely Irresistible. And after writing all five of those in one year, I say that I was completely exhausted, (laughs) but completely delighted at how God uh, was prompting women to read the Bible once again, along with these devotionals, and look at his word through the lens of, this is God's love letter to me. This is God wooing me and pursuing me. This is God not just unleashing his wrath, but this is God in a a flannel shirt, loving me unconditionally. This is my heavenly bridegroom, wooing me and pursuing me into an intimate relationship with him. And so it has been such a delight to see what God could do through that book series. And um, we committed a portion of the proceeds of that entire series to Wycliffe Bible Translators just to continue the work that Marjorie and Gary Jarsfer started all those years ago. And it is such a privilege to partner with them in ministry and getting the gospel translated into every language on the planet so that Jesus can hurry up and come back, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, Shannon, Shannon, those, those four devotional books will, will give those that don't understand the understanding how Gary was able to do that, to forgive you yes. from the very first. 
And yeah, that's what, what when I looked today, I looked on your website and I saw those books and I thought, wow, those books are giving the, you know, the world doesn't understand that. Mm-mm. The world doesn't understand how someone can forgive someone like that. But right, this was, especially a stranger, especially a girl who was being careless. And, and it, was, it was immediate. So it was immediately. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right, and, and it wasn't just him. His three adult children consider me one of the siblings. His grandchildren often call me Aunt Shannon. I've been oh, a part wow. of family funerals. I, I've, I've stayed very close to this family through the years. And it's just astounding to me how they can welcome me into their home and I sleep in their guest room and they literally treat me like one of their own. And I've just never seen such a loving example. And one of the sad parts um, of my life as a result of this accident is I'm often called when people know of someone who experiences a, a a a similar tragedy. Um, most recently, I had to minister to a young girl who had turned her back while she was babysitting, and, and uh, one of the toddlers was, was floating in the swimming pool when she went back out to the backyard. Uh, another one fell asleep at a wheel and hit a young man or a man and his young son. Um, I could go on and on with probably about 20 to 30 different people that I have had the, the um, sad privilege of contacting to say, it's not a club I would ever want to welcome anyone into, but welcome to the I feel responsible for taking someone's life club, and you will survive this. I promise if you will cling to God and let him heal you and receive his forgiveness, whether or not the family involved ever forgives you or not is beside the point, but I'm only able to offer them that hope because of the hope that I received. And so that passage of scripture that we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces character and character produces hope that is so, so true. I have seen that scripture lived out by the entire Joshua family. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I never would have thought that I would be grateful for an accident like that. And I certainly wish that it could have, that I could have gotten my epiphany about who God is without having experienced that. But if I had to be involved in an accident like that, I'm just so grateful that it was the Joshua family that, that shouldered that burden with me. Um, and I've also had the awesome privilege of visiting Marjorie's gravesite numerous times. And just the kindred connection that I feel to this woman that I never met. The first time I met her was when she was lying face down in the grass. But I, I do truly feel as if I've been given her legacy, and I take it very, very seriously. And that's one of the reasons that I do counseling and coaching, uh, why I write books. Um, I've written 22 books in the past 13 years. Uh, it's why I speak uh, internationally. It's why I lead workshops for women who are trying to figure out why they look for love in all the wrong places and how they can find love in the right place uh, through a relationship with Jesus and a more intimate relationship with their husbands if they have one. And so it's just brought me so much purpose and joy and fulfillment in life to let God work through all of that pain in order to help other people get through the pain that they experience in life as well. And looking at your website, uh, was it ShannonEthridge.com or ShannonEthridge.com? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gave so much. Just looking at the blogs, looking at the books, all the things that, uh, all the resources there. Uh, Todd. Well, I, uh, I 
first of all, you know, when the when the lady down in in Waco had told me about your book, I just thought that was the one book by itself. I didn't even realize it was a series. But I see now, looking at the book right now, it says at the bottom, uh, you know, the series or whatever. Yeah. The, the reason that I did the four devotionals in addition to the lead book, I didn't want people just to take my word for how much God loves them. I wanted to get them into God's word and hear him wooing and pursuing them themselves. And so each of the devotionals are 30 days of walking through scripture, Genesis to Revelation, and focusing on those passages of scripture that really do highlight the fact that Jesus woos us and pursues us, that we are his, his, uh, his bride, that he is our bridegroom, that he has made certain uh, promises to us that we can take to the bank, that when he returns for us, he's not just returning as a master or savior or friend. He is returning as a heavenly bridegroom, and there's going to be this grand and glorious wedding supper of the Lamb, and all of us are invited, not as a guest, but as the bride, that this is how the story ends. Um, and it's interesting how through the years I have asked several pastors, do you ever preach on Revelation 19 about the wedding supper of the Lamb? And many of them say uh, that they haven't. And one pastor in particular kind of bewildered me. He said, you know, I've never preached on that analogy of being the bride of Christ. He said, because to me, it just reeks of homosexuality. And I thought, oh, my goodness, like, are you really wrapped up in your masculinity to the point that you can't embrace your role as a bride of Christ? Because C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, God is so masculine, we're all feminine in comparison to him. We can only respond to his initiating. And so I just find it very intriguing how many Christians go through life and maybe they learn the Ten Commandments and maybe they learn a few Psalms and, and maybe they're relatively familiar with the Gospels but they don't know how the story ends. But when you look at Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and then you look in chapter 19, one of the last uh, remaining chapters, this is how our story ends. This is what we can prepare for. This is what we can anticipate. And so it's just one of those concepts that I feel as if the church hasn't preached enough on because uh, if we're not preparing for the ending of the story, what's the point of life? That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, after all this happened, one of the things I noticed is is your devotional time and the time you spent in the Word and the time you spent with God majorly increased, and uh, which I think is something that we're really lacking in the church. You know, as far yeah. as is, I mean, if you talk to anybody, uh, you know, I, I work at a lot of hospitals, and, and they don't even open the Bible. Right. That's collects on it. That's true. I mean, I can't say that I was an avid Bible reader at all throughout my growing up years. And, yeah, I thought that I was this great Christian. Um, It was really when I began listening for God's voice rather than just reading the Bible as if I was reading, you know, any other book. Um, It was when I started developing a relationship with the author of the book that it really came to life. And I know that, like, when I travel and speak, there are so many people who think they know me because they've read my book. But they know so little about me. They know 196 pages of my life or thoughts. But there are so many other things that they just don't know. And I think that the same is true, even with people who are very um, uh, very astute on what the Bible contains. It's like, yes, but that is merely a fraction of who God is. But that's, that's just simply what can be contained within all of those chapters. But God is an author of that book, or he is the author of that book. 
that is still alive today, that there are so many things that we can learn about God and so many ways that we can interact and relate with him that you cannot find in the pages of scripture. We all should have a very personal relationship with Jesus such that we are talking to him, but more importantly, that we're listening to him because his voice guides us. It says, the Bible says the sheep know the shepherd's voice and that he'll guide us in the way that we should go and he'll tell us whether we're to turn to the right or to the left. And yet there are so many people walking around wondering, what does God want me to do? I don't know. I don't know. And so I'm not saying that there are never seasons where we are confused and bewildered and seeking God's guidance, but God doesn't withhold guidance from us. Um, he, he reveals it in his time and in his way, and his, his ways are certainly higher than our ways. Sometimes we just wish he would send us a postcard and just tell us flat out, this is what you should do. But the fact that we have to have a relationship with him in order to discern his voice and to sense his guidance, uh, that shouldn't be a burden to us. That should be a blessing that the God of the universe wants to talk and relate specifically to us as individuals. That will sustain you through any tumultuous season, just knowing that God's got my problem. God knows my trials, and he knows my shortcomings and my mistakes and my tragedies, but he can turn all of this around. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of my favorite sayings is um, my, my great uncle Dorsey was a Methodist minister, and he used to say, it's all going to be okay in the end, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. And when I look back on that day of the car wreck, thinking my life is over too, there's no way I'm going to survive this. Uh, when I think of Uncle Dorsey's words, they certainly ring true, because if I had any idea how God would wind up using that story in so many people's lives, through so many interviews and so many opportunities to speak and opportunities to publish books and to counsel people, I just I never would have dreamed that he could have take, taken something so ugly and made something so beautiful out of it. But he truly is in the business of taking our lemons and making lemonade out of it and then quenching other people's thirst to know him through those experiences. Oh, gosh. You know, for, for all ages, excuse me, Todd, for all ages, from the young people to the elderly, you have such wisdom and, and guidance in what you've written and, and the way you speak and the way you write really is, is going to be you. a blessing to many. Thank you. I, I take that as a great compliment, and that is one of my greatest joys is when people say, you know, I was reading your book, and it sounded as if I could hear your voice inside my head reading it to me. <laughs> and, and I just tell them, you know, I hope it's not my voice you're listening for. I hope it's the Holy Spirit's voice you're yeah. listening for. Yeah. But it, it, it really is wonderful to feel as if you're a part of God's plan of redeeming people's pain. There is no greater joy than to feel as if my pain wasn't lost. My pain served a purpose. So you were a junior in high school when this happened. How how did the other kids at the school react? Oh my goodness, that was that was another painful part of the journey. Nobody knew what to say or how to act. They would literally see me coming down the hall and immediately turn to face their lockers. They just nobody knew what to say, um, and I think that's probably the reason why. Um, even like a year later, I got married um, to a guy who was five years older than me. And in hindsight, I know that it was just I wanted to get away. I wanted to run away from my dad, from my school, uh, from the pain of the situation. And, of course, that only produced more pain when a year later uh, he filed for divorce after I had left because I caught him doing drugs. And so it's one of those things where when we run from our pain, we have a tendency to accumulate more pain. 
when we turn and face our pain and courageously unpack it, sift it and sort it and separate it and ask God to show us how we can use it for his glory, that's where the healing comes. And so for people who are trying to medicate their pain through sexual relationships or through alcohol or drugs or shopping or gambling, there's so many different ways that we as human beings trying to numb our, try to numb ourselves to pain, but it, it's always going to catch up to you. Um, and I, I, I read something recently. I'm reading a book by Keith Avalo called Living Your Truth. It's about editing the fiction out of your life and just facing the reality of, of what's happened in your life and the, the juncture that it's brought you to and the journey that you've been on. And he says that when he's working with clients, he's learned to recognize that inside every patient is a poet dying to get out. And that's kind of the creative side of us. It just wants to tell our story. It wants to process our pain. It wants to make sense out of life. And when you take the opportunity to do that, whether it's through talking to someone one-on-one, whether it's through speaking to groups or teaching a Sunday school class, whether it's through writing books, um, God truly does take our pain and transforms it into something incredibly powerful. I mean, that's another saying is that if you don't transform your pain, you'll transmit it. Because I certainly could have become a very angry, bitter, withdrawn person as a result of that car accident. But I would like to think that it had the opposite effect on me. It, it brought me out of my shell. It lifted, you know, God is the lifter of our heads and the author and perfecter of our faith. And I feel as if it was a chapter in my life story that, um, you know, like I said, I, it wouldn't have been how I would have wanted to write this story. But God has just brought so much glory to himself through it that I'm actually grateful for that particular chapter. What what time frame from the time the accident happened till you really began to write what the Lord put in your heart? I started I started speaking. Well, the the car accident happened in 1984. I started speaking in 1995, so it's about 11 years. Which ironically, I think that that's the number of years that Paul was in separation. I never made that connection. It just hit me as I said that, Sandra. So thanks for asking the question that way. But it definitely took a season of growth and preparation. I started speaking in 95, I started counseling in the year 1999, and it was in 2001 that I signed the contract to write the Every Woman's Battle series. Um, And then since that time, God has also just prompted me, again, just this legacy that I feel as if I'm carrying. I I just want to do all that I can on this side of heaven to really bring God glory and, and, and help other people tap into the joy that comes from sharing your testimony with people and and bringing God glory through what's happened in your own life. And so in 2009, I formed a mentorship group. It's an online, 12-month online mentorship group called BLAST. It stands for Building Leaders, Authors, Speakers, and Teachers. Because I've learned through the years that every time I would speak, somebody would come up and say, you know, I have a story a little bit like yours, or I have an equally powerful story, but I don't know how to share it with people. How did you get your start? And so I developed video curriculum to walk people through the one-year process of how to launch a ministry, how to put yourself out there and uh, knock on doors for speaking opportunities so that you can develop your testimony and share that with people, how to write a book, how to pitch a proposal to a publishing house such that you can actually get traction um, how to start a coaching practice or a counseling practice if somebody is a counselor. And so I, I just love how much fruit we've seen through that. We've probably had 250 people go through that BLAST program over the past uh, six or seven years. 
Um, and then another great joy that I have experienced is, um, again, you know, I started speaking on the topic of sexuality because that had been my wailing wall. That has been my area of confusion and bewilderment. And so uh, three and a half years ago, I started these four-day intensive workshops called Women at the Well workshops. And so women come from all over the country, and, and it's totally anonymous. They don't know each other when they come, and they don't necessarily have to ever see each other again when they leave if they don't want to. But during those four days in my living room, they process their emotional baggage, their sexual baggage, their childhood history, their family of origin pain, uh, some of their life's most pivotal moments, and they try to make sense out of their life story. And the main goal is um, to help them figure out what they need to do to develop a more healthy sense of sexuality in their own lives. Uh, I liken female sexuality to a pendulum swing, that sometimes women are swinging too far to the left. They're acting out. They're looking at porn. They're interacting with people in cyberspace. They're having an affair. They're doing things that they never in a million years thought they would do, and it's most likely to medicate pain. Or they're swinging too far to the right. They are sexually shut down. They can't envision ever being sexual with their husbands or anybody else. That's not healthy either. And so we help women find a healthy middle ground where they're an interested and motivated sex partner once again, but only with their husbands, not with anybody else. And what I really love about my job doing these workshops is that, you know, when these women go home, they are just so in love with Jesus. They're just giddy. They're starry-eyed. They're just blown away. So we have a special Bride of Christ luncheon before they leave Texas. Uh, or we have these workshops in Michigan as well. But they, they leave all giddy, and they go home so eager to share their mind, body, heart, and soul with their husbands in a very intimate way. And so I frequently get, I'm actually looking at flowers right now sent, by a, sent to me from my husband, but they send flowers, they send cards, they send chocolate, and they see things like, um, you know, I don't know what you did with the woman that I sent you, but I'm keeping the woman you sent me back home because she's amazing. <laughs> and so just helping women heal their own sexual scars and, and heal their own childhood abuse wounds and things of that nature. Again, such a privilege. I just, I pinch myself that this is what I get to do for a living, that this is what I wake up and get to do every day of my life is just to either counsel or coach or write or speak or lead these workshops or mentor other people to help them launch their ministries. It is just a life that I can't, I can't envision doing anything else for a living. There's just so much joy and passion there. That is so awesome. And uh, your website just covers everything. It, it had a variety of things to look at. So anybody that, that's interested, and I'm sure a lot of people will be interested, could you give them your website again and that information? And Todd will post it on, on, on this one when he puts it up. That'd be wonderful. It's just shannonetheridge.com, S-H-A-N-N-O-N-E-T-H-R-I-D-G-E. And there is a link on there specifically for the Women at the Well workshop, and there's a link on there for mentorship. But if people want to go directly to the BLAST website, it's just blastmentoring.com, B-L-A-S-T mentoring.com. Okay. Well, Shannon, I want to thank you for coming on. And uh, it sounds like you've got a ton of stuff going on um but one thing before you leave would you pray over the audience especially i i know there's a lot of people that are going to hear this that um you know with with the texting and driving and everything there's a lot of people that have gone through the same situation are in the process of going through the same situation like you did 
and uh, that are probably thinking about suicide right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to pray for folks listening. Thank you for giving me the opportunity, Todd. Uh, Father God, we just thank you so much that we have such a safe place to bring our pain, and that's at the foot of your cross, where there is absolutely no judgment, no condemnation, where there is nothing but unconditional love and grace and mercy. And God, we need your wisdom to make sense of our pain, because there's a lot of things that happen in our world, sometimes by choices that we've made, other times it's by choices that other people have made. We don't know how to make sense of that pain, but God, we trust that you are the author and perfecter of our faith, and that if we entrust even our pain to you, that you're going to turn that into a passion, that you're going to turn our mess into a message, that you're going to take our lemons and you can make lemonade out of it. And so, God, I just pray that for every person listening who has felt weighed down by some heavy, heavy burden in their own lives or in the life of their family, that they would just let you lift their head and that they would gaze into your eyes and that they would learn to trust that you're going to make something out of this, that the the story doesn't end today, and that it will all be okay in the end because you are our heavenly bridegroom and you are returning for us, and there is going to be a grand and glorious wedding supper of the Lamb. And when we are there, God, just consummating our relationship with you on the other side of heaven, the pains of this world will absolutely pale. They will just disappear like cotton candy on our tongue. They will just literally disappear in the blink of an eye and that there will be no more pain in heaven. There won't be death or disease or sickness or strife or sorrow or or tragedies. And so, God, we thank you for the hope that we can cling to, that our stories aren't ending today, that this story will continue to unfold and that you have the greatest happily ever ending happily ever after ending that anybody could possibly imagine. And so we just entrust our lives to you, God, and we lean into you and we listen for your voice to guide us on whether or not you want to use a particular circumstance or a particular story in our life to bring you glory. We just want to say, here we are, Lord. Send us, use us, speak through us. We're trusting that if you can speak through Balaam's donkey, if you can speak through rocks, if you can speak through a simple girl from Greenville, Texas, you can speak through anybody at any time. And so we just surrender our lives uh, and our relationships and our life stories to you, God, and we trust that you are going to make something absolutely beautiful out of them, something that will bring you glory because that is our greatest heart's desire. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. 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 Thank you guys so so much much for giving me the opportunity to share that story once again. I I, I can never share it without tearing up, but I never get tired of sharing it. So thanks for one more opportunity. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. God bless you guys. You bet. God bless bless you. you. Bye-bye. 